Okay, I'm doing a short midweek episode because something's been irking me a little bit. I've heard repeatedly from a variety of people that history is a guy thing. And frankly, that's f***ing stupid. And in this podcast, I do my best to debunk myths and tell you how we reach certain conclusions. So I thought I should probably sit down and explain to you why that's wrong. And also, as a bonus, give you an episode on Celtic women that I released earlier last year on the members-only feed. So you could say that just on sheer mathematics, 51% of history is actually a female thing. But that's not really the truth of it. The truth is that history is a human thing. These are everyone's stories. And while there were a ridiculous number of primary sources who were biased and focusing almost exclusively on men, it's our job to rise above those sources. Because if you are ignoring over half of the population, you really are ignoring the majority of our shared history. But unfortunately, many historians and narrators don't rise above it. The easy path is just to speak about the men of society, because the great man approach has been a historical method since at least the Roman era. But it's incomplete. And that incompletion should really bother you. I mean, everyone listening to this episode, everyone without question, has female ancestors. I guarantee it. Aren't you curious about them? I know I am. I wonder how they lived... And even during the periods of history where women were forced into the domestic sphere, I really would like to know what their lives were like. I mean, even if you only want to know about kings, and there are quite a few people who just would like to know about kings and battles, but even if you're one of those people, those powerful kings had a home life. They were involved in the domestic sphere. This was part of their lives. So how can you truly understand them as people if you cut out all this other material? And on top of that, When you're cutting out that material, more often than not, you end up cutting out a lot of these titanic, powerful women who were huge movers and shakers in society. And the worst part about ignoring women in history, whether they're powerful war leaders like Boudicca, politically savvy manipulators like Eleanor, or just the simple crofter's wife, when you ignore these people, you're disenfranchising an entire segment of the population. When you say that history is a guy thing, people hear it. People read it. And maybe the next Gibbon or the next Solway is hearing those comments, and maybe she'll decide that she's unwelcome in the field and seek out another area of study instead. And so this bias manages to damage us all. And the thing about it is, is that it doesn't really need to be so blatant. Simply acting like men are the only people who did anything, and their stories are the only ones that matter, has the effect of isolating people from history. And we can see it play out in front of us. On Facebook, we have thousands of listeners who have signed up but there's a 20% split between men and women. And that's crazy. That's a huge margin. Now, there might be mitigating factors that led to this split, but it might also just be the result of this bias of history being only for men. So we really do need to tell the whole story. It's not the easy thing to do. These stories are buried and hidden, and in many cases, they're just outright lost. But we need to do what we can to find them, because to do anything else is, at best, lazy, and at worst, dangerous. And besides, these stories are great. And with that in mind, here's an early members episode that I did on a few prominent women in Celtic history. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, this is the Members Only Podcast. So let's talk a little bit more about some Celtic history we haven't covered in the main podcast. And for today, specifically, let's talk about Celtic women. And to start with, let's have a few Roman quotes. Diodorus says, The women of the Celts are nearly as tall as the men, and they rival them also in courage. Ammianus wrote, 
A whole troop of foreigners would not be able to withstand a single Celt if he called his wife to his assistance. The wife is even more formidable. She is usually very strong and has blue eyes. In rage, her neck veins swell. She gnashes her teeth and brandishes snow-white robust arms. She begins to strike blows mingled with kicks as if they were so many missiles sent from a string of catapults. The voices of these women are formidable and threatening, even when they are not angry but being friendly. Celtic women fascinated the Romans. After all, they had considerably greater rights than their Mediterranean counterparts, and they didn't adhere to the stereotypes of being weak and frail, which was what was expected in Roman circles. And Celtic women had a lot of political power compared to the women of Rome. All in all, they were an object of fascination for the Romans, but also of revulsion. They are repeatedly described in ways to indicate that they lack femininity and that they are scary and manly. So they're basically just trashing the Celtic women. And this is in stark contrast to the noble savage stereotype that you get when the Romans talk about Celtic men. But regardless of what the Romans might have thought, it seems pretty clear to me that it would be better to be a Celtic woman than a Roman woman. Take, for example, the availability of rights to property. Caesar wrote about how when Gallic Celts marry, the man would add a portion of his property that was equal to that of her dowry. And then that amount would be jointly held by the couple, and upon the death of either member, the entire sum would go to the surviving member. That's a pretty big difference between the Celts and the Romans, because in Rome, women couldn't inherit whereas it was built into the system for the Celts. But it wasn't just property rights and appearances that bothered the Romans so much. The Romans were also scandalized by the fact that Celtic women were free to choose their mates, and did so openly. Dio said that a Celtic woman was speaking to an empress and said, quote, We Celtic women obey the demands of nature in a more moral way than the women of Rome. We can sort openly with the best men, but you, of Rome, allow yourselves to be debauched in secret by the vilest. I like to imagine that the Celtic woman immediately followed that up with, In your face! But anyway, that sort of outlook, you know, of women having the right and power to determine who they share their beds with, continued in Celtic areas of, of Britannia for quite some time. For example, ancient legal texts in Wales and Ireland show that both men and women had the right to divorce. And actually, in ancient Wales, if a woman found her husband had cheated on her, she had a three-day exemption from punishment for attacking him, the mistress, or even their families. But before you think, well, I just lay low for three days following my one-night stand, that wouldn't work either. The three-day exemption period started on the date of notice. So pretty much any time a woman found out that her husband cheated on her, she had three days to go on a rampage. So basically, you shouldn't cheat. But it wasn't just marital rights where Celtic women had an edge over their so-called civilized counterparts. Ancient Celtic legal texts from Ireland include female war leaders within their categories, and of course, history shows us that female Celtic leaders were nothing new. Similarly, the laws out of Wales refer to female lords and women who rule an area in her own right. 
Moreover, education in Celtic lands following the fall of Rome was more egalitarian than many other places, which suggests that this was part of a Celtic cultural heritage rather than something new that came along. For example, ancient Irish laws allowed girls to be educated once they reached the age of seven, just like boys. And of course, we know this from the tales we've already spoken about, Celtic women fought alongside their men, and continued to do so, actually, until Christianity abolished it in 697 at the Synod of Burr. Which actually, I think, is a bit cheeky of the Christians to do. I mean, considering the fact that when Christianity started to spread in the area, many of those spreading it in Celtic lands were women. So taking away rights of the women was, um, well, it wasn't very nice. And actually, female Celtic saints in the early church were common, a fact that is pretty much unique to Celts during that period. Other cultures didn't have a lot of female saints. So all in all, Celts were kind of, you know, progressive. But before I leave the topic, I thought you might want to hear a few examples of Celtic women that, while I would have loved to include them in the main podcast, I just didn't have the time or they were outside of the scope. So I'm going to go in chronological order here. So in the late Hallstatt and early Laten Celtic cultures, you have some women being buried in the manner of warrior kings. This suggests that there were female leaders right from the early days of the Celts. Right from the point where it really started to spread, in fact. You have Queen Tuta, who was a powerful 3rd century BC Celtic warrior queen from the Illyrian coast. You have female ambassadors who were sent from Celtic territories to negotiate with Hannibal around the Second Punic War. There's Queen Chiomara of the Galatians. She was a 2nd century BC Celtic queen. And her story actually gives us an indication of the way they were seen by the Mediterranean people and just kind of how they rolled. Queen Chiamara was captured by the Romans, and then she was raped by a centurion. After he realized who she was, he ransomed her back to her husband, the king of the Galatians. When the exchange took place, she calmly took a sword from one of the escorts sent by her husband and immediately decapitated the centurion where he stood. And then she took his head home with her, in true Celtic fashion. She was recorded as saying that there is, quote, only one man alive who had intercourse with me, end quote. She was a tough queen. There is Queen Onomaris, which perhaps meant mountain ash, who was a successful leader and warrior of the Scordisi, and her people ended up actually founding Belgrade, in eastern Yorkshire, as recently as around the time of Caesar, you had women being buried in their chariots, which is a mark of a warrior as well as a mark of wealth. You had prophetesses and priestesses amongst the Celts. Dio mentions one actually named Veleda. There were also female druids known as Dryades. And of course, you have Cartamandua and Boudicca, who were the British warrior queens that are most famous both of which we've already spoken about in the main podcast. The point is that Celtic women had significantly greater rights than their Roman counterparts, and they were quite a force to be reckoned with in ancient times. And frankly, anyone who knows my Aunt Teresa knows that Celtic women continue to be quite a force to be reckoned with. 